Because honestly, I think I'm grieving, you know, just people in my life. Yes. Like that are alive. Well, that is the hardest grief are the people who are alive. Welcome to the Fuck the Stigma podcast. Today I have Carol here with me and you're a grief recovery specialist? Yes, I am. I'm a grief recovery specialist and I was certified from the Grief Recovery Institute. So how did you get started? Well, it happened when I wrote uh, Helder Story, the book that I wrote. And book? Yes, I did. I, um, after my husband, yeah, passed away in 2016, I was in a lot of grief, but at the same time, I found myself being a single mom and all of a sudden to four kids. And it didn't seem like there was ever going to be a pause moment to actually feel my feelings and go through the grief. So it was suggested to me actually by one of Helder's friends that I might want to start writing a, a book. And I mean, when I say that, I was like, I never thought it would get published or you know, I'd have it read from people across the nation. And so um, I just started writing and it was very cathartic for me to be able to write about his life, his recovery, what he did for people. And so I wrote the book, it got published and people started calling me, just random people from New York and from Texas. And they had read my book and they wanted to talk about their grief. And then my friend group and my community, which is large, they wanted to talk about their grief as people in their lives were passing away. And I thought, I I need to be more articulate about grief. And I wanted to give people something to do other than just talking about it. And then I remembered that I had gone to a workshop at a Cocaine Anonymous convention and John James was giving his last talk because he had been diagnosed with cancer and he knew this was the beginning of the end for him. Mm. And he gave his last talk and he talked about the grief recovery handbook and he talked about grief recovery and the book he had written along with Russell Friedman. And he wrote the book when he had about a year or two sober over 40 years ago. And I thought, well, okay, there, there, maybe I can become a grief recovery specialist. And sure enough, I There's sort of become a passion for it. Yes, absolutely. Like with people calling you and just guiding them through it? Yes, yes. I wanted to have something that I can give them. Yeah. And so I got certified as a grief recovery specialist. Yeah. And there is so much stigma involved in grief when you're in recovery. Um, it's just one of those emotions that we're supposed to just check in for a moment, but be grateful. Always be grateful. Yeah, it's like, look at where you are now. Be grateful. You don't have the room to be sad. Right, right. Yeah. And what I found, I mean, in, in recovery and out of recovery, people walk around with so much grief because here's the thing grief comes from losses and not just death and divorce people think death and divorce are the two major losses that will cause grief but after the pandemic it became real clear and and it's in this grief recovery handbook there's over 40 types of losses that people experience grief from what do you think the definition of grief is Well, one of the definitions of grief is a longing for uh, of something or someone that you used to be a part of your life, and there's been a change in that. Mm. And grief also comes from not being able to 
communicate the feelings that you have. Um, because you'll know some people are like, yeah, I don't feel the grief anymore. Or they've, you know, it, they, it doesn't feel like it's made them stuck. And other people are like stuck year after year after year with their grief. Grief from a broken relationship, grief from a job that you used to have. Um, and so it's that longing for it and not being able to communicate it. A mm. lot of people don't even recognize that they've got all these losses in their life and that they haven't grieved it. They just keep moving on. I have a lot of questions like what does a grieving process, what should a grieving process look like? Like there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it? Right. Well, here's the thing. Our culture is not equipped to deal with grief at, at all. We what? don't talk about it. Why do you think so? Um, well, first of all, yeah, we don't talk about death and dying. Mm -hmm. um, and that if, if the more we would talk about it, the more natural it, it would be. So as yeah. so what happens is when there is a loss, and we'll talk about the death and dying, people say things that aren't helpful. They usually say something that's so not helpful. What's a, what's a not helpful thing to say? Um, the number one is they're in a better place. People will literally say they're in a better place. And why is that? Why is that not a good thing to say? Well, for example, my husband, Helder, he told me because he knew he was dying. And he said that if at his funeral, if anybody says, oh, he's in a better place, you tell them there is no better place than right here next to you. Oh, and so that's why, right? When somebody's grieving the loss of somebody, no, there's no better place than being right here, regardless of what your spiritual beliefs. But in that moment, in my grief, I want you here for me. Yeah. And that's okay. The other thing is that people think that there's a timeline to grief. And I think that's the other myth. We, there is no timeline. There is no rhyme or reason to it. Um, there is just... I'm feeling my grief today. And that's what, you know, people who are in my, um, that I, my, my peer group will say, you are, I'm having a grief day. You know, if I'm working with somebody in grief counseling, um, they'll say I'm having a grief day and what that's is... okay. Like I, it's hit me. And uh, then, and then tomorrow I go on, I go to work. And I then you can have another one later on. Right. Like it just comes, right. comes in way. Does it ever go away? The pain of the grief? I think that it changes. I think what happens is it changes. But the most important about thing about grief recovery is not to look at it that way. When is it going to go away? Is mm. it going to be 90 days? Is this the 90-day thing? Is it Yeah, you said year? no timeline. No timeline. Then that gives you the freedom, you know, and that's part of the stigma about having grief is that, or being in grief is people are get, you know, um, impatient. They're like, really, you're still grieving? Or they judge what you're grieving. Mm. There's, there's an, um, pet loss is a whole grief in itself that people, there's such a stigma that you shouldn't be so sad because you lost the dog that you had. Well, he's a pet, he's an animal, but it could have been your best friend in some, you know, thing that was such a huge part of your life. But it's shocking how people will judge that and think, you know, that doesn't warrant you grieving two years later. Yeah, and you said you can grieve people who haven't passed away, like things oh, yeah. that aren't related to death. Right. And normally when you right. think of grief, you we automatically think death. Right. So, yeah, what does that look, look like? Well, like I said, there were, are over 40 losses that you yeah. can grieve from. And 
most, I mean, a lot of the losses where people are still alive is that, you know, you've ended a relationship and the person's still alive, but you haven't been able to grieve that loss because again, people give you the wrong information. They'll say, well, there's more fish in the sea. That's yes. another one. That's, that one pisses me off. Right? That there's other fish in the sea. You know, that doesn't replace that person. And that connection. And that connection. Exactly. Like you can, And it's... For me, it was really difficult with relationships because there's only one of that person. That's you know right. what I mean? That's right. And you're not going to find the exact same connection with somebody else. Right. Right. And that's what makes it really hard, especially if it's something that's short-lived. Right. And people don't give you that space to grieve that relationship. They immediately, and that's one of the myths that I talk about in my grief counseling, is that to replace the loss. Like, okay, let's hurry up and get you another, you know, partner and move on. Let's go to a nightclub and find somebody else or go on a date or whatever it is. Yeah, like to get over somebody, got to get under somebody. Right. And that, all that does, what happens, that's called unresolved grief. So that just pushes it down. And then you for you think you forget about it until the next loss happens. And now it's accumulated. And what happens to us is from the beginning of our lives, we experience losses. And we, when we don't grieve them or give ourselves that space and time to do it, it just keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. And you've got all this unresolved grief. And usually it isn't until somebody gets into recovery or something horrible happens, they have a mental breakdown, that it's apparent that there's all this unresolved grief that's never been identified, that's never been talked about, starting from your childhood all the way here. It doesn't just dissipate and go off into the wind. It stays inside of you until you find that you have no joy anymore. You don't feel spontaneously happy. It becomes a depression. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's a great point. Depression. You become a workaholic. um, And those are what um, is called short-term energy-reducing behaviors. And that's in the book, Grief Recovery, that you do these things to keep that stuff down. Food, alcohol, drugs, sex, fantasy, which is TV, you know, just all this stuff so that you can keep those emotions down. First, let's, I kind of want to cover the wrong way of a grieving process. What would that look like? Well, that would be participating in one of those things, you know, and most people, you know, they give themselves the permission and not that any of those things are wrong, except maybe the drug part, but you know, (laughs) Um, even that, you know, I mean, cannabis and all that. I mean, people go to something to make themselves feel better. That's the point. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with watching TV or binging, you know, a series. But when you're doing it to keep your feelings down, to keep your grief down, there's, that's, it's not healthy. We'll put it that way instead of saying a wrong way. It's not healthy and it's not productive. Yeah. It's better to say, embrace the grief and say this is where i'm at and i'm allowing not going to pretend like i'm smiling yes allowing yourself to feel right and if somebody asks you how you're doing like communicate how you're where you're not at not good today yeah and you know it's interesting i was with my uh, another daughter and she was asked she wasn't having a good day and 
and she was asked, you know, how are you doing? And she was like, good, fine. And, you know, and then I reminded her, you know, you know, it's okay if you're not good and fine. She goes, oh yeah, that's right. And we ran into somebody else um, and it was actually at a doctor's office. She goes, and they asked, how are you doing today? It was the nurse, how are you doing today? And she was not well at all. And the nurse responded, oh, good to hear that. Like, <laughs> we don't even hear when somebody tells us I'm not having a good day mm -hmm. or read the facial expression. Well, you know, Carol's not smiling and she's keeping to herself. She's probably not having a good day and that's okay, you see. It's really everybody has such a hard time when somebody's in grief or not having a good day, even when we say it. Yeah, I mean, it's also some people like to, that's almost our way as Americans of greeting, like, hey, how are you doing? Right. Automatically say, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm right. doing well. And it became like a thing where we don't really want to know how that person is doing. It's right. just like a, another hello. Right, right. And yeah, like some people just want to keep the conversation light. Right. And I've also heard that people get an, I think it was like, it might've been a meme where it's like, why are you trauma dumping on me if, okay, if right. like I was just asking how your day was, right. something like that. Right. So like in polite society, we don't say how we really feel. Yeah, yeah, it was something weird. And it's like being good manners, you know, when somebody, they're just saying that, but they don't really, aren't really asking. And, you know, there's appropriate places to share your feelings, you yeah. know, that has to be safe. But back to your question, you know, what does it look like to be unhealthy and have that unresolved grief is to also not recognize your emotion about it. So, you know, um, we'll say the grief comes from the loss of a job, like you had your favorite job, this was the job you always wanted, and then there was a layoff, then you got laid off. Well, most of us have to hurry up and get another job, and there's no time to grieve, like, wait, I really like that job, and I'm really angry, um, I'm so disappointed, and uh, feel disillusioned, and whatever those feelings are, but we move on to the next one, and I think that not recognizing what you're feeling, you know, because it's not always the same feeling when there's a loss. I mean, if your 98-year-old grandmother passed away, um, that grief is going to look differently than if your dog that you just had for three, four years and is your best friend and you see every day, you have a relationship and we'll say they got hit by a car. Mm. You know, it, you're going to experience different feelings around that. And so I think that's yeah, really like well, like for example, with the grandma, it's more you're already growing into acceptance of right. that's what's going to happen. Right. And then the dog would be more traumatic because it was like a shock. Right. Yeah. It was a shock, and it was um, some something that was a part of your life. So that's the other thing. People think that um, a lot of times people will um, I don't know always go to death, but we'll say there was a breakup a divorce and we say there's a loss yeah I don't have my partner anymore but now you also don't have the person who's going to help with your finances maybe you split everything 50 50 now you have to take a hundred percent of things uh, maybe this person happened to also play tennis with you so there's so many losses involved in that one thing and everybody's focused on yeah oh you're sad because of you're grieving because you lost your partner, but no, I lost my tennis partner, you know, and I lost the person who I talked my 
my um, therapist, so to speak, you know, that I, that I was able to talk uh, to about my problems. So maybe there was a lot of losses involved in that one loss, you yeah. know, and usually that's how it goes. Like for me, I thought, well, okay, I know my husband's dying and I know he's going to pass away, especially the way he passed away. Um, that was, we knew this was going to happen. So I was so focused on that. And then I didn't realize it was going to leave me a single mom. So there was that grief that, oh my goodness, now I'm alone in this. I don't have him to say, what should we do? You know, um, this, this, you know, my son's come to me and asked me this question. It's like, I've got to figure it all out on my own. And just like retirement, I retired right after my husband passed away. And there was so much grief from that. And I was able to go, even though it's something happy that you wanted, we'll say you change careers or you move, mm-hmm. you might be like the best thing you ever wanted, but there's still going to be a grief because it's a change. Yes. And that's what I was describing what grief is, the description. It's a change in your everyday behavior in either the situation or the person. Mm-hmm. That gets me thinking, though. Because, like, yeah, like, I just had a recent positive change of just, like, moving out, not being, like, living in treatment anymore. And it's, like, I went and visited yesterday to where I lived previously, and it's just, like, wow. Like, I feel happy with where I'm at today, but this, I miss this. That's such a perfect example. Yeah. Like, I really appreciate it. I appreciated the people I was around, some of the people I was around. Right. Yeah, like that's where I grew up, you know? Right. That's where I feel like I started being an adult. Right. And like now just moving on to the next step. Right. And it's yes. and it's like, yeah, mixed feelings with it. 100%. And I think just identifying that that's a loss, mm-hmm. you know, moving out from your other place to a new place, that's a loss. That, that was a certain lifestyle. You yeah, know, whole, whole different lifestyle whole change. Different lifestyle. Like now I'm buying things for an apartment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. it's crazy. And you're responsible for things that other people would remind you, maybe like, oh, don't forget, we have to do this. Yeah. On Friday, we're doing that. You have to come up with your own schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that is a loss and that would produce. So grief is a feeling. Um, It's an emotion that you have um, as a result of a loss. So anytime you think of a loss, um, moving out from your parents, you know, that's the usually for a lot of young adults that's the a loss that they don't recognize as grief like wait i wanted to move out i'm so happy yeah my own place but that doesn't it's a whole different it's a whole change they're gonna have to adjust to right absolutely but i think it's kind of almost important for me to not exactly maybe what is it called maybe like non-attachment to like knowing that not everything is permanent Right, right. Well, and I think also knowing that there's going to be multiple losses in your life, right, of changes. And it doesn't have to be um, the same. um, It doesn't have to look the same way, you know, maybe moving out from your parents, that's a loss, you don't have that comfort, that safety net, and, and you move on. But just to identify it, stop a moment and go, okay, you know, and, and it could be a few days or a few weeks later that you feel that grief. You're okay. That's I feel grief from moving out, and and that was a loss. Doesn't mean you're gonna go back. And I've been so yeah, exactly. And it it, 
I don't think I've like grieved it because I've been so busy since. Right. Like it hit me. I was really looking at the calendar today. I was like, it's about to be a month. Wow. Like I've already yeah. been out, out right. on like my own for a month and that's yeah. crazy to me. Well, and that's the unfortunate thing about the culture today. We're so busy. We're so on the move. Mm -hmm. Like it just, you know, keeps going. Like life doesn't stop when no. like something happens. And right. sometimes I hate that. Right. I remember like my friend passed away last year and like my best fucking friend like loved wow. him. And I had like had to go to work the next day. See, I was right. like, no way, you know. Right. Like I was really like tearing up at work. Yes. And it, yeah, it was weird because I remember grieving that it was. I just go through my day and start tearing right. up and yeah. crying. Right. And then I, I was like, I can't believe like the world doesn't stop when That's something like thing. this happens. And that is the truth of the matter. Life does keep going on, whether we like it or not. Right? You know, the day's going to end. And you're eventually going to think, what should I make for dinner? You know, I got to be at work tomorrow. You know, life just, just keeps moving on. So if we don't pause, and that's why I say give yourself the time and space and say, I'm just going to just be here and, and allow myself to feel down and to feel I'm not happy, which a lot of people are afraid of, especially in recovery, because they're afraid that's going to take them down. Mm -hmm. And you won't be able to come back up again. And I know I have that fear, but you have to remind yourself that you're honoring yourself. You know, this is one of many emotions that I have. And that's one of the things I give um, my clients is a chart. And I'm sure you've seen it of uh, emotions and feelings and what the face looks like. And also just the descriptions, because sometimes it's not just like, I'm sad. No, it could be, there were things I wish I would have said. I, I feel mm. a lot of regret. Yeah, that part. Yeah. And that is usually the biggest part of the unresolved grief is the things that you didn't say and you wish that, you would That was a said. huge one for me. Yeah. Because I was uh, supposed to make an amend to him and I never got to it because right. I was procrastinating it. Right. And then like I was like, dude, that was like one of the first things I said when I figured out he passed away. I was like, dude, there was things I needed to say to him. The way that that gets completed in you is first of all is that another person hears you say it doesn't mm. have to be because part of what I do is is I have people write a letter to that person and and it doesn't ha and most of the time even if they're living it's not really appropriate to to read it to them you know especially if it's your parents or an ex or something like that but the therapeutic value of saying it out loud to another person makes it feel complete. And so, for example, with that, you know, I would have you write a letter of what you wish you would have said and to, to write what you would like to say because you can always say it. Mm -hmm. so, that's, so that's what hurts. It's not, um, or that's what lingers and keeps is that it's not been said and you can still say it. And the other part, so there's um, the way we become complete with our, those feelings is apologies, uh, forgiveness, and then significant emotional statements, which are just, I wish I just would have said this, like, wow, I really appreciated the way you would call me if you didn't hear from me in a day or two, you know, um, and apologies for things that you wish you um, would have said or said and you wish you didn't yeah. say. And then forgiveness for, and that's another thing that keeps people stuck in their grief in that and they have this unresolved grief because 
they haven't forgiven. And that's a strong part. Forgiven them or... Forgiven them for things they've done to you. Or yourself. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes there's been hurt. Even in the best relationships, even the bestest friends, there's things that are said. And then, you know, after they're gone, you might think about it and and go over that. Well, they said this to me and that was an awful time. Well, you, when you forgive them and you say that out loud, that resolves that. So it's so that, usually those things that hold us down. Yeah, so those are those are kind of like the steps into like a proper grieving process. That's right. Right, absolutely. Aren't there seven stages of grief? So let me tell you about that. Okay. So Kubler-Ross, who Susan Kubler-Ross was a hospice nurse and many years ago. And after being a hospice nurse for so many years and seeing patients have to be told that they have this terminal illness, knowing that they're going to die, she wrote a book about the seven stages of grief for the patient that the patient goes through. Now, have you, you've heard, have you heard of the mandala effect? Mm-hmm. That's a, the seven stages of grief is a mandala effect. Are you serious? Yes, one hundred percent. That why do you book think was that? written for the patient, for the person oh. who's told that they're going to die, and they go through these stages. They go through anger, denial, acceptance, and somebody somewhere said that's for the griever. That the griever goes through anger, acceptance, <laughs> denial. And so that's why people get so confused. They're like, I, I don't know, am I in denial? Like, how can you be in denial? The person died, you're sad. Where's the denial? But that book was written and the, that effect is that people think it's for the griever, the person grieving, but it's not. The book was written by Susan Kubler-Ross for the patient, for the person who's told that they are going to die. Wow. Interesting. Isn't it? It's a little, yeah. <laughs> and and a That's big crazy. part of, of grief recovery, like you said, is, is to recognize what's not helpful. And that's one of the things is all the myths that we are told as a society about grief. Yeah, it's really crazy. Because I feel like my therapist like says there's seven stages of grief, I think. I'm not sure. That's crazy. Some of the smartest people in the world thought that Mandela, Mandela had passed away. Nelson Mandela had passed away. And yeah, that's just one of those things. Because, you know, I really feel like I felt these seven stages of grief. Think about denial. When people go, I think I'm in denial. Well, you're feeling it, so you're not in denial. Are you denying that this person died? I mean, Almost what? because it's like you don't want to believe it. I, I suppose. Yeah. But you know how we can, we can make it work in our minds? Yeah, yeah. Somehow, <laughs> you know? I mean, I've heard, yeah, people share about things. And I go, oh, I think I have that, you know, or I think that's happening to me. There's books written on this. Yeah, yeah. But you really, it's a myth. Where'd you learn it's a myth? That's the. It's in the Grief Recovery <laughs> Handbook. And, and this book was written over 40 years ago. Um, there's been updated versions, you know, with more information. But um, that's how I learned it. And um, when I went to my training, and uh, we talked about myths about grief. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other myth we talked about is to replace the loss. No, and that doesn't work. No, no, Replacing it just delays. It just delays that. Um, I mean, 
when you say it doesn't work temporarily, it could work. Yeah. You know, especially when it comes to a breakup or a job. Yeah, you you have to. I mean, you know, you keep going, but that feel that grief, longing, like yeah, but I liked the other job I had. I liked, you know, my other partner. There were so many things that if you don't recognize that there's grief in that, it just delays that process um, until, like I said, you know, you get to that point where you just start to feel, you know, so down, and the joy for living goes. Mm, that's real. Yeah, and especially if I can talk about being in the disease, like there's no time to stop and grieve. We see people overdose. We see people, you know, um, ruin their families. All this stuff happens and we just keep moving on and we feel like it's, you know, it's not gonna affect us uh, because we're in our disease. But again, that's how our mind, it doesn't go away. It's, it's like, you know, if I don't remember it, it didn't happen. You still feel that. You still have the grief. Um, and then you get sober and then you do remit. All of a sudden, as the longer for me and a lot of people, the longer you stay sober, those memories come back. And, um, yeah. and that's what's happened for me. I've had memories of losses I completely forgot. Pam Spiker. I was 18 years old and she died in her sleep. She was my best friend. I completely forgot about it until I had like eight, nine years of sobriety. Wow. And all of a sudden I remembered. And I didn't grieve because her boyfriend said, oh, it was the best thing that happened. Pam was never a happy person. <gasps> and I was That's like, well, up. you know, I was in my disease. So I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe it is the best thing. Maybe it's best when people die. And I remember that was a belief and also that's the thing, the beliefs that we have today about death, we usually picked up from our parents. It's all passed down. It's all passed down or friends or things you heard. And I remember yeah, exactly. hearing that going, that, that, that's, that makes sense. It's, you know, it's the best thing. They weren't happy or they were ill. But you see, that doesn't replace the grief. They may have been unhappy. They may have been ill. They may be your 98-year-old grandmother, but that doesn't mean you're not going to grieve the loss. Okay. Is there anything else you want to put out there in terms of grief? I think most that I'd like to if, say that what people who are grieving need most is an ear. And that's the other thing that we don't talk about, that we don't do, is we don't listen to each other. We always try to fix it. Well, you should go there or do this or find that. Sometimes people, most of the time, people just need someone to listen to them. You know, millions of dollars, billions of dollars is spent on therapy and treatments and, and so many things when all a person really needs is someone to listen to them. You That's know? a big one. Yes. Yes. And it's hard because it's very intimate to not say anything and just to be there and not talk and just listen is a, is a very intimate experience. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that is really important. I've learned that. I've learned that um, recently of just like, sometimes I really just don't even need to say anything. Right. Sometimes a comment I say pisses the person off or upsets them. I just needed to be there like as an open ear. We literally. call it to close your mouth and open your heart. Oh, that's cute. Thank you again for coming on here on the podcast. And Thank you so much for having me. For, yeah, spreading this information and awareness. And what you're doing here is so wonderful. Oh, thank you. 